0: Hey guys, welcome back to the Pallet Plug podcast. This is episode eight with your hosts, Kyle and Corey. Hey, what's going on guys? Welcome back for episode eight. Uh, So today we have Greg Wilson, uh, the owner of Hempwood here. And though he doesn't make pallets, we still wanted to have him on, ask him a couple questions about his business, how he got started, maybe if there's any potential to make pallets with hemp. And uh, so, We're just going to start rolling right into the question. So, Greg, how exactly did you come up with the idea to start Hempwood?
1: Well, howdy, folks. This is Greg Wilson coming from Murray, Kentucky, where we are the only manufacturers of Hempwood in the world. (laughs) Um, The idea came from me being in the bamboo flooring space. Okay. So I worked in wood flooring and then bamboo flooring, actually living in China for 14 years, setting up bamboo mills. And when the Chinese government deemed uh, what we were doing to be a monopoly because we weren't Chinese, I kind of figured something else out and got to move back to America. Wow.
0: Okay. Interesting. And then so from there, how did you move into hemp? Did, was it something you knew about prior or was it something you had relationships in?
1: Yeah. So um, back in college, which would be like 21 years ago now, um, I was working on a project in China. I studied abroad over there to how to make bamboo flooring densified. So it would be hard for using in commercial use. So high heels didn't put dings and dents in it. And that turned into some trial and error that I wrote an algorithm of the process. So your standard operating procedure is literally just a four page math equation. And it worked for bamboo. Uh, we did really well with that. I was a small piece of a a big puzzle, I guess. And then um, when those got deemed to be a monopoly in 2011, then the the boss told me to go and start looking for other raw material we could use. And hemp was one of those. Hmm. It worked. It was illegal. We actually called it weed wood at the time. (laughs) And um, yeah, it just kind of sat there on my desk. And when people would come over to the bamboo mills, Part of like the, the song and dance, because I was the technical guy, the engineer in, in the mill, I would um, be like, the manufacturing algorithm is so versatile, we can turn weed into wood. And with the 2014 farm bill, some of those customers that I'd showed samples to called and said, hey, are you actually going to do this? <laughs> okay. And that's where hempwood started.
0: Wow. So that's pretty crazy. So you started out with bamboo, and you weren't doing that in the United States. And then after- Basically being told that you're not allowed to do that anymore, you had to come up with another idea. Now, were you always in Kentucky when you were doing it? Or did you start somewhere else and then decide to move there?
1: So I studied wood flooring engineering mm-hmm. in school. Mm-hmm. And so I was working with oak flooring and with Oregon State University. Uh, and that's where the glue made out of soy that we use for our flooring was first developed. It's the same glue as um, pure bond plywood. We're very similar. Okay. So like the no formaldehyde plywood. And I had wrecked my lungs with the um, with using formaldehyde in the bamboo flooring. Like I literally have been hospitalized three times oh, for it. wow. Oh, so, wow. yeah. As recently as 2021, I was out elk hunting. I missed an elk out in high country Colorado. I stayed up in the mountains too long. Um, I'm missing 6% of my lung capacity. Wow. So if you're up that tree line and your lungs are already not so great, uh, a lot easier to end up in the hospital that way. So using a a plant-based glue is super important to me because there's all these dirty chemicals that are getting used overseas that people just kind of sweep under the carpet because a big corporation can make more profits. Mm. Um, I don't know if you guys are familiar, but like in the flooring industry, those trains, that train that wrecked in Ohio, Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Was full of vinyl chloride. Mm. Vinyl chloride is the V and the C from PVC. Oh, okay, which I didn't even is, know You know that. Yeah, wow. PVC flooring is the number one type of flooring out there right now.
0: Gotcha. Right.
1: The the luxury vinyl plank flooring.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, it's kind of horseshit. I don't know if you're allowed to say those words on here. We let, like <laughs> one, or two. We let
0: one or two go. You know? Right. Good
1: deal. Uh, yeah. They're using a waterproof petroleum-based dirty chemical that should be used for exterior purposes where you don't breathe it in, in your house. Mm-hmm. Like vinyl siding is now the flooring in two-thirds of the uh, the houses in the United States. Mm-hmm. And so just letting people know about that is half the battle. Yeah. Um, in New Jersey, I mean, I, I don't know if you've seen the new kind of controversy right now with the Phillies Mm-mm. and how a bunch of their players from the 70s are starting to die of brain cancer.
0: No, no, I that I
1: haven't seen that. They're, they're saying they believe is coming from um, the chemicals in the turf. Oh, the wow. The plastics that were used in the turf in the Phillies stadium, uh, <laughs> they believe reacted because the temperature got hot in the summertime and caused off-gassing with these guys that are then having problems. They're dying now. Wow, Uh, They haven't come to all the conclusions. They're saying that the Eagles, I believe, that played in the same stadium on the same type of turf, Mm. but it wasn't hot outside during football season. Your chemical components aren't reacting to temperature. So, like, the moral of the story is know what you're putting in your house or know what you're putting around you because, I mean, people, I don't smoke cigarettes, but I've got – horrible lungs like a 20-year smoker Mm -hmm. just because i was around formaldehyde and people are coming up with all those different things that a lot of it's ventilation but a lot of it's also just what you're putting around you Hmm.
0: it's kind of scary when you you know you kind of just like assume that the things that you're purchasing and putting into your home are like meant to be there but at the same time it's all capitalism (laughs) and like cost effectiveness and things like that so your negative experience has led you to want to create a solution and create like a healthier, uh, option that like, isn't as harmful to people. And so like, have you in regards to, um, like the flooring, I know that when we had first originally spoke, like it's not necessarily the go-to thing, right? Your, your product is not something that's like in every single residential home or you have like certain customers or clientele. So like, could you kind of, Speak on that and like where you would maybe want to see it go where or where you see the business heading, like who your current clients are and customers are and where you would want them to be or where you want to go.
1: Well, you're right. We're not there yet, mm-hmm. but we're getting there. Yeah, I was just down in Texas uh, on Sunday and Monday Okay, at South by Southwest. And I can say that I finally went to a trade show or I guess it was a um, demonstration <laughs> hall. Mm-hmm where people didn't think it was weird or different. Uh, The people that go to South by Southwest are usually kind of the trendsetters and the the people that are the square pegs in the round hole type scenario. Mm -hmm. And it fit there. Um, Now, I think also people didn't think it was expensive because they had bought like a $1,400 ticket to go to that thing. So (laughs) they got money. But... The sustainability factor, being the only carbon negative flooring Mm -hmm. uh, that's out there, uh, gets a lot of the commercial side of it. It is a fire retardant because the density is so high. It has a class one fire rating, um, actually double the standard for the class one fire rating, where you just don't get flame spread on it. It's 20% harder than hickory, so it works very well for your high traffic areas, where high heels don't put dings and dents in it. Um and then the healthy aspect of it where we just don't put a bunch of garbage chemicals inside of your flooring that you're going to breathe in does really well. So we're doing a lot of universities, we're doing a lot of tech offices where people say if you're using healthy natural materials in your workspace in your home or in your classroom, you actually have a 6.4% higher cognitive ability. It means that you're thinking clear. Mm. Six percent higher, and that leads to higher test scores and higher productivities for employees. And so the commercial side is really grabbing onto that, saying, "Well, yeah." In Bowling Green, Kentucky, we're doing a uh, public school there. Greenwood High School is doing a net zero school. Wow! Oh, nice. And they <laughs> they said it actually pays for itself because higher test scores mean that you drive up the property value because you got better schools. Mm-hmm. And, and you get more money the, from the government. <laughs> property taxes is what pays for schools. Yeah. Yeah. So your local property tax is what pays your school. And they just want to have better schools. Who doesn't want to have their kids score better and do better? Yeah. So there's there's a whole lot that goes into it. It's kind of like the scenario of eating a Twinkie or eating an apple. <laughs> I mean, that's that's a real thing. Yeah. I live on a farm here and like It's an organic farm. I didn't set it up like that. It was already like that. One of our growers, actually, um, this was his brother's farm. Hmm. But it just makes sense when you see right out in front of my house here, the neighbor's row crop that he does, and I'm all for farming. But when they spray that, there's not an animal in that field for three weeks. Hmm. And then you're eating what grows out of there. Right? Seems a little crazy. Yeah. And so if you're using healthier stuff or cleaner stuff, then it ends up being a better atmosphere that you're in. So I firmly believe that the formaldehydes are getting ripped out of the equation with what you're allowed to use in building materials, like Baltic birch, which is the standard or was the standard for making furniture, making cabinetry is Russian wood with phenol formaldehyde in it, Hmm. but it's cheaper. Mm. So as soon as they invaded and that stuff wasn't allowed to be imported or it became um, tariffed or taxed or something like Mm -hmm. that, people started looking at it and saying, well, if you can now get the healthier material like the Columbia Forestry product stuff, the pure bond plywood at a similar price because you're not underpaying somebody over in Siberia Mm -hmm. to do it, then um, why not use the better material or the healthier material? Yeah. Um, yeah, and that's happening all across. Like people are starting to catch on to all the crap that they've been putting out there. Yeah.
2: And how long does it, how long does it typically take to get a, uh, crop of hemp? Like how long does yeah. it take to grow? And
1: <clears throat> you're between 90 and 120 days to grow. So around here, we stick it in the ground the last week of April or all the way through May. And then you're harvesting the stuff in August, September.
2: Okay. Oh, wow. It's fairly quickly.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It grows about the same as corn. So
0: um, in comparison to like a tree, like what, how many stocks would you say or plants of hemp would equate to like one tree? Is that?
1: Um, there's so much variability in the size of a tree.
0: Fair enough. Fair I'll enough. put
1: it down to tonnage. Or acreage. Okay. So with hemp being grown, Mm -hmm. it can grow about 15 times more mass, woody mass, or tonnage of material than a typical hardwood would grow on that same acre. So it'll grow 15 times more. Gotcha. As far as a softwood, and a hardwood takes about 60 years. Right. Right. For oak to harvest that's kind of your number you want to go for for a softwood they're about every 15 to 20 years okay so it's actually not nearly as much of a difference as pine and poplar Mm -hmm. um I mean it's you're looking at a factor something like four to one so it grows four times more mass than pine or poplar but 15 times more than oak hickory walnut Mm
0: -hmm.
1: so when we're competing with a hardwood very favorable carbon sequestration, because we all know plants pull carbon out of the air. Right, right. And plants actually all pull it at the same rate. That's kind of the crazy part.
2: Hmm. The I rate is that.
1: if it, if you're growing, say, one ton of wood fiber or one ton of hemp fiber, the cellulosic part, then it's pulling 1. 1.6 tons of carbon out of the air to grow that. So then it's just a matter of what grows faster. Mm-hmm. That's the whole equation is if hemp grows 15 times faster than oak, it's pulling um, carbon out of the air 15 times faster. If it grows four times faster than pine, it's pulling it out four times faster. And then you're locking it up into a floor. Um, so it, it works. We also, uh, we power our plant with our waste. It's pretty cool. Interesting. It's not new. In the wood industry and pallets and everything, you guys are familiar with when someone's got some sort of a bio burner or a boiler, you Mm -hmm. grind up your waste, you power the plant with it. Mm -hmm. Um, That's a common thing that the wood industry is actually very sustainable. Yeah. If you do it right, then you can make just about any wood operation carbon negative.
2: Right. Absolutely. We were able to do that last year through my business. So, So nice.
1: Yeah, uh, and that's exactly what people need to know is, like, you don't need to use synthetic stuff. Use wood. Mm-hmm. And just know that the wood's getting harvested properly because a clear cut is not a great idea. But selective harvesting, we do it on our farm here. That's that's the best way to manage your forest is to take the older trees out, leave the younger ones to be able to grow up. Just go, don't go cut down the whole thing like you're making paper.
0: Right. That's a good perspective. So, if you're not anti-wood, you are emphasis on sustainability. Is that would that be fair to say?
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I need an oak tree to be able to hang my tree stand on. <laughs> fair enough. So, yeah, I I live on a farm. We do harvest oak trees off of our farm whenever they get to a certain age. You come in and clear them out, and that actually helps helps it go so i've always been doing wood flooring bamboo flooring reclaimed wood it's just doing it the right way rather than having you know i mean ukrainian or russian oak sent to cambodia to put it on russian plywood and then sell it in the united states as oh hey here's a european oak you're like no that's actually that's war zone oak on russian plywood with from out it." yeah
0: come on
1: guys see through that yeah see through the big corporate cycle that goes on with
0: it. That's a good perspective. And I think that it also is kind of like along with not only the process of getting it to where it's being sold to us, but like the effort, the gas, the energy that it takes to cut it, transport it, treat it, treat it at another place, bring it to another facility and then it's finally brought to us to sold versus like you're within the United States. It's all done here and I kind of was curious, like, where do you guys source your material from? Do you grow it all yourself or do you work with, like, local farmers as well to take their biomass? Like, where does it all come from?
1: Oh, Absolutely. So we bought every single acre of fiber and grain hemp in the state of Kentucky last year. <laughs> what? Wow. We bought every single one of them? <laughs> Uh, that sounds impressive. Yeah. It was like 260 acres that Kentucky grew last year.
2: Oh, <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. Um, I was going to say,
1: that's a, that's a lot. That's, that's huge. Yeah. <laughs>
2: so. No,
1: but we bought twice as much from outside of the state, too. Okay. But it all comes from within 100 miles of our facility. Wow. Okay. So Missouri, Tennessee, Illinois, Kentucky. Uh, our plywood all comes from West Virginia, so that's all local here, too. And then our soy all comes from Kentucky or Illinois. Or missouri as well so our supply chain doesn't go more than 500 miles and that's for the plywood our raw materials for making hemp wood is uh 100 miles so it's all locally grown made and sold here uh which is the way it's supposed to be i mean in the wood industry the best way when someone asks you what type of wood floor should i get from my house you say like, go take a walk around your local forest you know, you go to the forest, the park, whatever that is, and whatever species of tree you see there is probably going to perform best in your area. Hmm. So that's a good point. Where we are, you got walnut, you got hickory, you got white oaks. If you go up to Canada, if you get up to Wisconsin, in those areas, they got hard maples. Those are the woods that you see, and those are the woods you should use because it's already acclimated while it's growing, as well as while you're making it to the moisture content to the weather conditions to all of that stuff
2: that makes sense i know yeah, we don't we don't have trees where i live <laughs> no <laughs> no we have mesquite bushes
1: now you're out in the desert right?
2: yeah I'm, I'm closer to new mexico so yeah we don't have anything out here <clears throat> we actually have a throat> national throat> forest called no trees really that's like not too far <laughs> from me yeah it's pretty pretty hilarious I did not even
1: so <clears throat> do you all make pallets out there or?
2: yes Okay. Yeah, my primarily my business is a hundred percent reclaimed lumber. So what we do is we go out, we pick up, you know, pallets, pick up oversized pallets. We strip them down and reuse the lumber to build, you know, what they call a combination pallet or a recycled pallet. So, Ooh, you know,
1: okay, we don't yep. do
2: any, any, any new lumber. So gotcha.
1: that's how we ship all of our stuff is just like that. We got, a. Uh... We hire a lot from the oh. AGR fraternity here at Murray State, the Ag School. We just—I hire the president and whoever the second best one is every year too. Have
0: we kind of lost you there for a sec. What, what were you saying? Sorry, it kind of froze.
1: Oh, so that's how we uh, we ship all of our goods. or on reclaimed pallets here? Okay. Oh, nice. So I hire from Murray State Ag School uh, very heavily. Nice. Especially the Ag fraternity, AGR over there. They know how to work hard because they're farm boys. <laughs> and if I got a roof over their head while they're working, it's actually all upside. Wow! From there Do you provide that.
0: housing for for them?
1: Oh no, no, no! I just mean there's we're working in a building, not out in the oh, field. Oh,
0: oh, oh, oh! I was <laughs> like, oh, yeah, <I'm laughs> providing a place for them to sleep. That's cool. I see what you're saying. They're not out in the fields working and things like that. Exactly. Gotcha. So it's gotcha. actually gotcha. easier work than farming. Gotcha.
1: So work in a factory or ag tech facility. Mm-hmm. And all of their buddies are seed salesmen and fertilizer salesmen. Oh. So they send us over truckloads of uh, of pallets oh. that they have nice. during the different seasons. And they're all different sizes and all different, you know what I mean, a, a mixed bag of everything. Mm-hmm. But we'll tear them apart and then build it back up. Sometimes we build them out of uh, hempwood, just with the different parts to be able to ship our stuff out.
0: Really? Oh,
1: so you do, do kind of make pallets out of hempwood? Yeah, <laughs> we don't sell them. But yeah. yeah, there's now. There's now I'm gonna wood. now
2: I'm gonna be looking for 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 hempwood, you know, recycled pallets. <laughs> yeah, really. So I can <laughs> get some hempwood out of it. So is there like a grade? Like, do y'all like with lumber? You know, you have like. Like premium grade, you know, the green and stuff like that. Are there different grades to hemp and based on region of where it's grown?
1: Yes. So we have when the material's coming into us, we have our dual crop grade, which is usually smaller, like the stalks are about the size of your pinky. Okay. Okay. We have our and that's where they cut off the top of the plant and they take it for the seed or the flower. For and like, then the bottom of the plant we get.
0: Is that for like like C B D like extracting or or like what do they do?
1: Um a, a little bit. Okay. Like it's the very high volume stuff, because you're you're harvesting it with a tractor. Mm-hmm. You're not growing it, you know what I mean, in rows and stuff. Okay. Um those are the ones for C B D for human consumption are planted like tobacco. Oh, okay. And they become like a Christmas tree. Oh, okay. Where the ones we are, they're row crops, so they're planted like corn. Okay. And they'll cut off the top, and they'll take the flower, and it's usually used for animal CBD, like high volume, low percentage. Okay. Believe it or not, you can get CBD treats for your dog feed him these CBD treats and your Doberman ain't going to bite you or the neighbor's kid or (laughs) it just chills them out. Yeah. I need to get some for
2: the puppy. Really?
1: (laughs) It's look it up after this. You can see that it, it does give him. it gives pets the same mellowing effect that you get when humans take it. Yeah. And then they're not as aggressive.
0: Yeah. So yeah, I've I've seen um, them before and it definitely has helped mm -hmm. people.
1: And the seed is, for planting the next year or for human or animal consumption. And then the stalks come to people like us. Okay. And those ones are the dual crop. They cost a little bit less. There's usually a lower volume, but we buy it just like wheat straw. So we'll pay the same price as wheat straw, 150 bucks a ton or something like that. There's always more transportation to those Mm -hmm. because they're more spread out. So by the time it gets to us, It'll end up costing 200 bucks a ton. Um, Then there's the dedicated crop. And that's when somebody's grown it specifically for the fiber. Okay. And with the fiber stuff, it's usually about the size of your thumb. So instead of your pinky, it's the diameter of your thumb. Mm -hmm. You get oh three, four. sometimes people even get five tons an acre instead of one or two for the dual crop. They get cut down, harvested... Um, the bales get sent in here and then we use those. They make two different visuals of the product. And so while we're actually um we're manufacturing the hempwood, we grade it at the saw into a premium select and a common grade. And then the rustic gets kind of put in the corner until somebody comes along and buys it all. Hmm. Um and then we turn that into our flooring, furniture, and cabinetry. Premium Select obviously has a higher value. It's usually from those dedicated stalks that we did. That way, we pay 200, 250 bucks a ton for that stuff. It's a more uniform, it's a more consistent supply, and it does look better. And then every once in a while, we have a couple of real high end customers that want organic grown hemp. Really? Yep. And the organic grown hemp, Obviously costs more. It's more of a pain in the ass to deal with because mm-hmm. you got to sort out more, oh, just weeds and you're not supposed to spray herbicides or pesticides or any of that stuff and growing them. Mm-hmm. but there's certain like fertilizers that you can't use. There's a lot of different ways where it's not as clean. It's more rugged looking, mm-hmm. but it's actually certified organic hemp stalks, hmm. And that's what these customers are looking for when they're making these like $5,000 tables. Okay. You know how like people are doing the river tables or the, mm-hmm. the big slabs and stuff. Yeah. We'll do those with a three layer. So it doesn't copper warp or bow
0: hmm.
1: um, a three layer panel that we'll make out of the organic hemp stocks. And they go into like the Rosewood <laughs> hotels or like JP Morgan offices and stuff. Oh, well, that's cool. oh Wow. So you guys, and I know because like, I've looked through
0: your site a couple of times, you guys make the flooring and then you make just like boards. Now, do you f- put together furniture? Do you build the furniture for people? Or is it like you kind of give them the material and then they get to do with it as they please?
1: We prefer the latter. <laughs> right? I've only got a couple of actual finished carpenters. Okay. That work for us that are like furniture or cabinetry. Game. Okay. So myself, uh, a guy named Jeff and a guy named Tommy, there's only three of us that, you know what I mean? Make a quality product that would come out consistently. Mm-hmm. So we do a lot of design builds, um, rather than also it ends up getting expensive when you're making a custom table, custom cabinet.
0: That's fair.
1: You're not able to really sell it through a reseller. mm and we found that if we make a table that costs 000, a thousand bucks, a reseller is going to try to charge two thousand dollars. Nobody wants to pay that. I see. Gotcha. No, you'd be so, surprised. <laughs> I, well, Sh- the ship one to ship, to do. one to
2: ship one ship Lubbock, Texas. I, I could probably get it sold for you. <laughs> so,
1: but then, the, uh, <clears throat> but yeah, God. so we do a lot of design builds for commercial setups. Cannabis lounges, coffee shops, offices, schools, stuff like that, where somebody ends up ordering and say, they order 2,500 square feet of flooring, something we call Main Street commercial. So somebody who's the owner of a business that's either owns the building or is leasing a building that they're moving into and they want to design the space around healthy materials, natural stuff. Maybe it's a maker space. Maybe it's a yoga studio. Maybe it's a coffee shop. And they need 2,500 feet of flooring. They need, say, 15 tables, some two tops, some four tops, some six tops, a boardroom table in the back, that type of stuff. And um, then they'll do base trim. They'll do some picture frames. They'll do some furniture or something like that. Like you can see that shelf right up above me there. Yeah. Stuff like that. And we'll end up sending straight to a job site, say, $20,000 worth of hempwood kit. And they wow. end up using that to build out these smaller retail spaces or coffee shops or restaurants or Bud Bars or whatever it is. Wow. That's super
0: cool. So I did see, though, on your site, like there was one time I saw a guitar. I saw that you guys have like animal calls and uh, like the knife handles are made out <laughs> of the wood. So how, where does that come from? Is that like somebody gets creative with extra that you guys have and they just say, Hey, I want to make it. And you say, go for it. Or it, like, how, how does that come about? And those like extra little things that you guys sell on your site.
1: Those actually, we sell the material to make those. Okay. So when you see the duck calls, those are our customers, our makers that are doing Oh. It. the turkey calls, the duck calls, the knife handles, all that stuff. Interesting. We'll sell call blanks on the website. Okay. Or knife handle blanks, but people are actually making those. Gotcha. Okay. Gotcha.
0: So I didn't, I just totally, but are you selling the product or you're selling the blanks on the site and you're just showcasing what it could be? Sell the blanks. Gotcha. Okay.
1: We sell the blanks and we actually work with a company out of uh, California that's called Bow and Harrow.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh,
1: And they, they do a lot of the stabilizing and dyeing and all the things where you see the different colors.
0: Okay. Interesting. Yeah, I was always curious what, uh, like, where those things came from. What about the, the guitar? Like, That was somebody else, too?
1: Oh, man. There's been guitars made by Silver Mountain Hemp, by Fender, <laughs> by JOI Guitars, by... There's some guy Canna Guitars over in uh, Germany. Hmm. There's probably 10, 15 different guitar makers.
0: Wow. I we
1: sell a blank which is uh, for an electric guitar. I think it's 20 inches long and it's 15 inches wide. It's an inch and a half thick. It's all joined together, finished, so they can make an electric guitar out of it. We sell those for 69 bucks and they oh, really wow. get a kick out of what we, what we price them at. Yeah, that's
2: super That's, that's insane.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, they got to make the guitar, right. but just the piece of wood for the body and they end up making a thousand to 5000 dollar guitars. Wow. I mean they're and they super sound nice.
2: way different than your traditional electric. I was YouTube and <laughs> hemp guitars and like they sound so different than yeah. your traditional plywood based glued together guitar. It's pretty cool.
1: Yeah. It definitely amplifies the sound with the the high density that's there. Mm. So, it makes it sound louder. A lot of people are doing matching guitars and amp boxes with them. Oh,
0: that's really interesting.
1: They'll make a whole box, like a case for the guitar, you're saying? Like an amp? Oh, okay. So, gotcha. they'll have the amplifier box. Gotcha. So, like a, it looks like a speaker. I, and then they'll have that hooked to their hempwood guitar and they play those.
0: That's pretty cool. That's nice. Yeah. I thought you meant like they made a, a case out of it, out of the hemp. So, Diego. Uh, there
1: was a casket made out of it one time.
2: <laughs> Interesting. Were y'all involved in that or?
1: Uh, I know the folks that did that over in Madison, Kentucky. Okay. Uh, it was really cool. Super heavy. They make a bunch of urns out of it too. Hmm. Hmm.
0: Interesting. I'm uh...
1: Especially pet urns. Really? Apparently that's a big thing. And I believe that a lot of people like to go for walks with their dog. And maybe they they smoke a little bit while they're on the trip. And this is their way of kind of taking that pet, getting them cremated and putting it in a hempwood urn. Gotcha.
2: (laughs) Interesting.
1: Hey, we all have... I've
2: only only ever had one pet that we cremated, and he was a hunting dog. So... Not for you, Corey. (laughs) No, it was... um, Yeah. You know. So what do y'all hunt over there? Um, Where I live wild boar. We have... uh, Dag, we have a uh, little bit of mule deer, uh, lots of wild boar. Obviously, you're in Kentucky. Y'all have a wild boar problem just as bad as we do. So,
1: wow, uh, we don't got boar around here where no? I live. Now we got wolves, man. They eat them all. Oh
2: wow. Oh, that's bring them over here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> care
1: that. We've got a. Uh, we do have. We've got a lot of deer, turkeys. Mm. A lot of coyotes around here. Um, we do have some mountain lions. We got some bobcats, oh, nice. stuff like that. Lots of predators that eat all my chickens.
0: Mm. <laughs> do you regularly? I lost
1: forty-one chickens last year. You lost oh, wow. that many? I only had forty-eight. What? I bought four dozen chickens four times. I bought a dozen chickens. Jeez. I got seven left.
0: <laughs> That's wow, crazy. That is crazy. And they've
1: got a good cage and everything. But like, yeah, the chicken's delicious. Everything knows it. <laughs> Yeah, and that's fair. I spend my time chasing around, setting traps and all types of stuff, trying to keep my chickens alive. Yeah,
0: it's I mm. have the same issue. The only thing we have to worry about around here is like a fox. There's some coyotes and then the hawks. The hawks are the ones that really try and go mm-hmm. for the chickens around and here.
1: Owls get them, so chickens can't see at nighttime. Mm. So like at nighttime, they're just a sitting duck. You got to like double lock
0: them up. Gotcha. Yeah, we've got... We've got a lock and a lock to make sure that because a raccoon actually figured out how to open up the coop one time and decided to <laughs> take two home with him one evening. So, we, oh wow, yeah, yeah. So it's, they don't mess around. Some hardcore
2: raccoons, you yeah, got over seriously.
0: there, buddy. He he was very very determined <laughs> to get the chickens. But uh, I I know you're probably itching to answer or, or to ask this question, Corey. So I uh, I'll let you go ahead. <clears throat> that one right there.
2: Yeah, uh, what's the process in making hemp? Like, obviously, you know, y'all cut it out of the field. You bring it in. You grade it. What goes on after that?
1: So, we put it through a crushing machine. We take the bale and we actually stab a big spike through the the center of it. You got to hammer it in with a uh, sledgehammer, and then we put it on this thing we call it the toilet paper unroll. So you got a big round roll, mm-hmm. and then it's got a stake through it. An arm comes down on top of it. And spins it to cause it to unroll. Hmm. It goes through a crushing machine. It's an old plywood roller. And then it goes out onto a conveyor until it comes down and we uh, then we batch it. That's where you're starting to grade it there. Okay. Uh, you batch it into a weight and you roll it up onto some, um, some fencing material. And we soak it in a soy-based glue for five minutes. And this glue we mix on site every day. Uh, So he makes a thousand gallons of glue every day. Wow! Then once we take it out of this roll, we unroll it and we put it on a wrap or a rack that we load into these dryers. And these dryers are heated with our waste energy. So when we grind up the waste hemp, it heats a fluid that fluid goes to radiators and fans blow across it. We actually stole the idea from tobacco barns. Nice. And so we ripped the guts out of five tobacco barns and, hooked it up to a uh, rail car and we fill the rail car with these racks and dry it out and then uh, pull it out. We weigh it and we press it with 3000 tons of pressure into a log and it makes like a a six by plus six like that. Okay. In these molds. And then we crane them over onto, um, we got some rail track that has these big racks on top of it because it gets really, really, really heavy at that point. And we'll push it into uh, this oven that used to be a shipping container. And that thing's also powered from our waste from the bio burner. And um, we bake them overnight. So we'll press blocks, say, 40 or 80 blocks a day. And then we'll uh, we'll bake those overnight. And then when they come out the next day, we open up the mold, we stack them, let them rest for two weeks, and then we cut it. And we cut it into lumber or we cut it into top layers that go into flooring and we send those to our second mill and the second mill that's where we we uh, lay it up onto a plywood backer pure bond plywood from west virginia got that same soy based glue in it uh we'll lay it up on that then we'll cut the tongue groove on all four sides send it through the sander and then send it through the coating line box it up and send it out wow that's
2: pretty that's awesome
1: so it sounds like
0: Everything, almost everything within your facility that you guys use is like recycled or used from something else. Like, did you have to create anything new or were you able to kind of take just all pre existing things and work it into this?
1: Uh, so, I did this with bamboo. Right. So, I copied as much as I could out of that. Okay. And then I borrowed from the tobacco industry, I borrowed from the wood industry borrowed from plywood industry, from flooring, the second mill that makes the flooring and the panels mm-hmm. is actually a lot more standardized. The idea of having a bio burner, so it burns our waste, but it burns it in three different chambers and spits out biochar, and we use that as our potash replacement for growing the hemp the next year. Wow. Um, oh, nice! Wow! <laughs> and, and then we sell our sawdust and our sand dust into the plastics industry as a biofiller. And they make um, packaging out of it. We're trying to make some Trex decking out of it. And so we have a zero waste process. We've got all these different like things that weren't out there. So we had to like find an old one, like the tobacco barn, mm-hmm. and then convert it into a dryer yeah. using our process. Uh, and just kind of make up what we needed as we went along because nobody ever did it before. Yeah, it's, it's
0: crazy to think and one like you're like, Oh, we have a shipping this used to be a shipping container. This used to be a rail car and like you're saying you actually have like, railroad tracks that you use
1: to slide things in and out of the oven. We made our own rail tracks. (laughs) So what we did is we took angle iron, and we bolted down uh, these long runs 20 foot runs of uh, steel plate onto the floor on one side and then the other side. Then we uh, welded on some angle iron to make the rail track. So it's just a triangle. And then we got the wheels, the heavy duty wheels that hold our 20,000 pound racks on top of that. And that's their guide. So it only goes forward and back mm. just like a rail does. Nice.
2: Mm. That's that's cool. And <clears throat> so if somebody wanted to build a house, like I called you and said, man, I'm building an 8,000 square foot mansion in Texas, and I want to build this thing all the way out of hemp. <clears throat> Could y'all do it?
1: So, we're working on a structural hemp wood. I've got some patents on it, trademarks nice. on it. Uh, right now, we're waiting on building code. Wow. So, the uh, IBC or ICC, the International Building Code, only opens up every other year. It usually costs you about a half a million bucks. It takes you about 24 months to get it done. We're trying to shorten that, but you're dealing with the government. Yeah. (laughs) And not only the government, an engineering firm with a scientific firm that then has to create a package that then submits it to the government. So uh, the answer is yes, if you didn't have to follow code. Gotcha. But then you can't get a mortgage or insurance, so. gotcha. and you can't blame it on me. You have to sign a piece of paper. And say, you bought this on your own accord,
2: right? Right. Absolutely. Well, because I know, like in Canada, they do have like homes that are built out of hemp. They make these like hemp blocks that they make, and I don't know if y'all could do stuff, if y'all would, if y'all were up to doing stuff like that, or how that worked out.
1: What we're working on is framing material. Mm. Oh, nice. So beams like LVL beam Mm -hmm. and uh, an OSB replacement we call OHB, oriented hemp board. So panels and beams are the two structural elements that we're working on. Honestly, I don't know how to make money out of it. So hopefully by the time (laughs) the building codes come around, we can figure out what the business looks like on that. Because you're not gonna be able to compete with like Lowe's and Home Depot selling OSB through there because they're kind of bottom feeders. Right. I mean, they're the Walmart of building materials. But if you could deal directly with architects, designers and builders that are ordering straight from the factory, you could be somewhat price competitive with having a healthier, more sustainable product.
2: And it's fire resistant at that. So that's pretty cool. Huge especially if you're out in you know the mountains of like New Mexico and Colorado and mm-hmm. up in the Appalachian Mountains and or it's Appalachia, fair. however you want to say it. <laughs> so but that's
1: where we are, man. We're we're right on the <laughs> edge of Appalachia. We're uh we're about ninety miles west of Nashville.
2: Okay. Gotcha. So,
1: so Nashville, you guys ever been there? No. Uh, I've been
2: through there. I've driven through there and that's about it.
0: Yeah, I haven't been. Yeah. I've been told to go. I have a couple friends who've gone, but I've I've yet to go. But I was looking up the lake the other day. The uh, it was Tennessee. Kentucky Lake? Yeah, Kentucky Lake. There you go. Yeah. I was trying to convince my friend we need to plan a camping trip there because it just looks super cool to go to.
1: That is pretty sweet. It's a lot of fun. Yeah.
0: Um, so I, you know, speaking of the different materials and, and where you guys are going, and I know we kind of like when we initially spoke Uh, We kind of touched base on this, but do you think that there's a possibility to make pallets out of hemp and like make it cost effective? Because if I remember that was like your first reason as to why it didn't really make sense, right? It's just not cost effective.
1: Cost effective is the issue. Mm -hmm. It's not the technical ability to make them. That would work. But Very often I see that people want to use pallets as a one-off or there, you don't put a whole lot of value in something that just gets you from here to there. Mm -hmm. Um, If you could figure out something that I'm not any good at or don't understand, but how to have a reusable pallet where like, ownership of that pallet could be maintained. Mm -hmm. I hear people approach us about that all the time. Yeah, like chip. Saying, oh, hey, I want to put chips in it and I want to be able to Mm -hmm. follow this Mm -hmm. and it's going to be owned by wherever it is. And can you make one that's going to last 10 times as long? Uh, Maybe there's something there. I just know I'm a flooring guy. I stay in my lane. Um, (laughs) Gotcha. I come from a building family, so making structural hempwood is a natural avenue using our sawdust to make a Trek style decking is somewhere where I want to go eventually. Mm-hmm. And that's now because, when you say uh, Trek style, is that the, uh,
2: <clears throat> explain that to us. What is the Trek style? I have an idea of what it is, but let Cycle else.
1: plastic with sawdust in it. Oh, okay. So you're making a composite where you would put say 25 or 50% sawdust in with recycled plastics, and then you extrude it into a decking product. Okay, so and, that's what I—that's
2: what I'm thinking it is then. So, yep.
1: yeah, that's it. So, so that's something we'll get into. Uh, as far as making pallets, yeah, we use hempwood to make some of our own stuff. Mm-hmm. I just don't know. I don't understand the market enough. From what I gather, it's always trying to be as price point as possible, mm-hmm. um, which is something that it's pretty hard to be new innovative and cheaper yeah
2: right absolutely well when you're spending millions of dollars on prod on uh equipment and trying to get it all out there and stuff it you know you'll spend five million dollars to make a hundred thousand real quick so
1: <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely that's uh that is a problem that we entrepreneurs have right <laughs>
2: yeah
0: so And, and I guess it's, it's also like, you don't, like you said, you, you've not really explored the market enough to where you would see the need for it necessarily. Like we had the fortune uh, of being able to talk to the owner of cocoa pallets, this individual, Miguel, and they make pallets out of coconut husks. And like the purpose of it is a pretty much like one-time use, you know, go from China to wherever it's being exported because they export so much and his, thought behind it was like, they're destroying their forest to build pallets that they never actually see versus like in the United States, everything gets like recycled, you know, not a lot of the pallets get exported, but for the, for the ones that the pallets that are built here, a lot of times they stay here. So it's not as bad for us here because we're able to continuously recycle them versus there. He was like, well, here's a need for this, um, this pallet that makes it so it's it's better for the forests. You know, they do so much exporting that it just makes more sense to have this thing that when it reaches its end destination, they can just break it down and it turns into fertilizer that, that you can plant. Um so it, it's just an hmm. interesting yeah, it was an interesting conversation with that guy, uh and hearing like his perspective and why he did it. And I feel as though with hemp it's almost like you're saying it's a harder material, you know, it might possibly last longer. So I could see it as a possibly like um, more long-term palette, you know, something that is able to hold more weight, maybe something like that.
1: Yes, it would have to be something like that. Uh, it's also you have to watch out when you're making those composite pallets. What type of glue is used in them? None, because mm-hmm. I've been
0: in his. Huh? Sorry, in his. Specifically, yeah, they don't none. use any it's glue. Like whatever is within the husk itself is like able. It acts as a glue, apparently. So that was really an interesting part about it.
1: Hmm. That's how they make cork flooring. They don't mm. use a glue inside of it. Mm. So you press it together, you heat it up, all that. But what's the water resistance then?
0: Good question. No idea. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I I don't think it's super resistant, but it might be a time frame, right, where it's only you know water resistant for a certain period of time, and then it. It's meant to break down, you know, it's meant to be able to be ground down. Uh, And again, like he has said, it's, you can use it as fertilizer once it's been ground down.
1: Mm. That's cool. (laughs) Heck yeah, man. Well, that's awesome. So yeah, making a reusable pallet, it's possible. I mean, we have them in our shop Mm -hmm. where we store stuff on top of a pallet that we use to input to make
0: that's awesome. So you do, there are pallets out there made of hemp, but mostly within your possession.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or we'll use like the planks as the top plank on top of your feet that uh, for shipping out a specific size. Uh, when the price of shipping got so high mm-hmm. last year, it was absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. And so we started making our pallets to the size of our product. And you would get a lot less shipping charges. So we were making pallets that were, if our floor is six foot long, six foot four, and if it was only going to be like, say 200 square feet, we'd only stack it like four wide and three tall. So 24 inches by, oh, what's that? 76 inches long and 24 inches tall. And you end up saving 25% of your shipping cost. Hmm. So... We started making custom pallets like that, and usually you just grab whatever's closest. And in our case, that was hempwood.
0: So it's out there. It's
1: possible. It's out
0: there. You're you are doing it, and I think that it's it's cool to see. Now, when you do that, do you have to like pre-drill the holes because it's such a, a higher density, or can do you use a nail gun to just go right through it? Like, how does that work?
1: We pre-drill the holes. Gotcha. <clears throat> so. And if anybody listen to this wants a custom hempwood pallet, all you got to do is order some hempwood flooring. Get hold of us at <laughs> hempwood.com. Add a little note on the bottom of there that says, I want this to be delivered on a hempwood pallet and I'll make it happen. There you go.
0: There you go, people. So <laughs> if you want a hemp that pallet, that's how you get it.
1: <laughs> it's one of those things like in not knowing the industry, mm-hmm. I don't know how to make a pallet and sell it without losing my shirt. That's fair. But if I got a customer who says I'm only buying your flooring, if I get a pallet on it, (laughs) damn right. I'm going to do it. Hang
2: hang it up in the office. Hey, I got a pallet made out of hemp wood over here. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's a one off. You'll never see another one. Yeah, So that's pretty cool.
0: So uh, I would love to know, like throughout running your business, like what are some of the, the most important things that you've learned about not just hemp, but like the industry as a whole?
1: Oh, boy. So, the hemp industry is great and sucks at the same time. Okay. Um, more shysters and just snake oil salesmen than I've ever met in my life. Gotcha. At the same time, you've got a lot of people that actually really care about the environment. Mm-hmm. That's a big deal because it kind of gravitates towards whenever you got something that's that new and that different, that you're going to get people that are running to it because of the attributes like sustainability
0: mm-hmm.
1: or farming. They want to have the family farm actually stay in the family. But you then have a lot of people that are running from something else just saying, oh, hey, I'm just coming here to try to make a buck. I don't actually give a shit about it. Yeah. yeah. And those folks are usually the ones that tell you CBD heals cancer. Gotcha. Or mm. those type of things. And so you always got to kind of just watch out who you're dealing with. Mm -hmm. No matter what industry you're going to have good and bad, whenever it's something new that nobody can quite explain and is not completely regulated or understood, you're going to have a lot more people that are just kind of saying it is what it is. Uh, As far as the flooring or lumber industry goes, I really wish folks didn't think we were such a threat. I mean, we're a couple of rednecks in Kentucky making some floor, <laughs> and uh, I get like logging associations that were like, "Oh yeah, you hippies down there in Kentucky," <laughs> and I, I don't quite get it. Like I, I live on a farm. I bow hunt. I, you know what I mean. We cut timber off of our own farm here. Yeah, so. It's literally doing what's right. Mm -hmm. We're not trying to destroy anybody's... You know what I mean? Livelihood. Yeah, And people just automatically get all up in arms. Um, Which kind of shows you the society we live in. Absolutely. Um, Something else I've noticed is COVID has made everybody different.
0: Mm. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm.
1: Whether it's actually from getting COVID or it's just like uh, people not giving a darn about going to work Mm -hmm. in some cases anymore or people just not caring or over caring about different things Mm -hmm. too much. And so it kind of brought out or made it, I guess, more eccentric what somebody was already doing. So the person who, uh, Believed in made in America before. Now it's like I'll only buy something made in America because I don't want none of them Chinese sending me over anymore. That COVID. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and to the same time with like the people that were, hey, I, uh, I'm not going to use plastic bags because I'll just bring my own bag to the grocery store. That are now like, stop cutting down the trees and don't ever drill for oil again. Like it just made, it seems like the two extremes even more extreme. And the rest of the people in the middle looking around going, really? <laughs> this is this is the world we live in now? Yeah. How, how does the right kind of support Putin invading Ukraine now? What the heck is that? And then how is the left following a guy like our current president that's asleep half of the time. Like what's the, <laughs> what happened here, man? Whatever happened to just like get up, put on your boots, go to work and do your job. Yeah,
0: No, I'm, I think that that's a, a good point with the, um, you know, when you're doing something new, you're trying to break into something. Uh, it can kind of, you know, the people who have been doing it for a very long time are looking at you and being like, what are you doing? You know, you're seen as possibly a threat or, who knows, you know, and I think that Corey can, and I can somewhat attest to that and what we're doing here and the podcast and like the website that I have uh, and the Facebook group that I, I run too with all the people in it. It's like, it's different, you know, we're kind of revealing a different side of the industry that uh, it kind of has always operated in the background. You know, there's a lot of like big names, big players, and there's also a bunch of other people who have been making a living off of selling pallets for a very long time that maybe not have, but they've not gotten as much publicity or acknowledgement of existence, but um, I think that it just kind of just reinforces what you're doing, right? When you come across those people, you're just like, oh, cool. And that means that I am doing something good and I can believe in what (laughs) I'm doing and I'm I'm proud of it. You know, it's, I I would hope that that's how it makes you feel rather, I mean, you haven't stopped, right? You've just continued to grow throughout the years. So um, as much as they try and intimidate or doubt what you're doing, like, it's just, Fuel to your fire.
1: Heck yeah, absolutely. I got a couple of questions for you guys. Yeah. yeah. All right. All right. So, what do y'all think about this pallet furniture stuff that you see on Instagram? Uh,
0: I think that, like, I think that it's a. You mean as a business or just like as people doing it to make like to make their own furniture out of it? Like, you're just asking our thoughts on it.
1: Both of them, like. Is it a legitimate business?
0: Uh, It can be. It could be. Yeah. And because
2: that's not not what we do. I sell a lot of lumber. Uh, I sell a lot of reclaimed, what we call recycled lumber, for like pallet walls and Mm -hmm. stuff like that. And, you know, when we do that, we have to make sure that they're not getting a piece of board that's come in contact with a chemical that's either flammable. Or hazardous to your health you know we have to be very selective about you know because these people are going in you know it's like putting flooring down they're putting it on their walls Mm -hmm. in their house next to their furniture and you know and everybody knows that pallets are flammable i mean one little match and that whole wall could go up and next thing you know your house is gone
0: i see it as like (laughs) there's People wanting to be creative, be DUI, you know, do it themselves. Um, I think that there's nothing wrong with it because it's also like trying to find more affordable material with the cost of wood having gone up. I think that people are trying to find an alternative to find material and to make something out of. Um, as far as making a business out of it, you know, I think that. It's an interesting concept if you solely make wood out of, or I mean, like furniture out of recycled things. But, you know, I know when I was selling pallets, like I sold some to this woman who wanted to use it as like a deck outside because she had zero uh, ability to build something. And she was like, this makes sense. I just want to go the easy route and, you know, put a bunch of pallets on the ground and then lay some plywood on top of it and, and call it a day. And that's how she, wanted to to make something out of the pallets you know I th- and like you said Corey, there's people that make walls out of it uh, i don't know if you have sold uh material for people to make
2: like furniture out of i personally have not. uh my uh sister's father-in-law okay uh he he's retired now and stuff so he'll he'll come by and be like hey you got any good you know lumber i can make a bench out of and he's made some pretty cool furniture and stuff yeah does it last forever? No. Yeah. You know, I think a lot of it's the, the fasteners you use and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So I will say... but uh, Oh, sorry. Go ahead.
0: Go ahead, Kyle. I was just going to say, like, as we're talking, I just remembered that, like, my roommate literally made a whole... Our, like, living room table is made of pallets. And he, like, coated it with epoxy. And so chemicals, you know, to get it to where it's uh, something that lasts a bit longer. But at the same time, it's it was really cool you know it's a really nice table uh, and people are always impressed by it so I, I think it's a it's a creative output you know outlet outlet that's what i was looking for
1: <laughs> any do you have any other questions for us uh well so one of y'all's in texas and one of y'all's in new jersey yes. mm-hmm. how does that work
0: <laughs> so we, we met each other through Facebook, actually. Um, so I like, started uh, a Facebook page and there's other ones out there in regards to the pallet industry and not on the, the furniture side, all on the actual like, shipping pallet side. Um, but Corey's always been one to kind of help people out and contribute to conversations. And as I started my, the Pallet Plug website, which is like a database for pallet business owners, Um, I had the idea to also start a podcast to give people a platform to kind of talk and share about their business and their insight. And um, I just figured that he would be a good guy to have on and to work with and to talk to because I just wanted to give him an opportunity to be able to help and learn and share and just grow. I felt like he has a passion for the industry, as do I. And uh, yeah. We just this is how we do it. We do it through the computer, so it's it's fairly
2: easy, (laughs) you know. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's actually pretty fun, you know. Of course, there's platforms out there like this where you know we can we can set up. Kyle's in New Jersey. I'm in Lubbock, Texas. You're out in Kentucky, so you know it's it's really a a great way to to put you know everybody together and stuff like that. And Kyle, me and Kyle, you know, we've become really good friends over this and uh we we're, we're very much night and day when it comes to certain things so you know it's it's very fun yeah. it's been really fun yeah agreed
1: hmm. okay Cool well it's a pleasure to be on here folks yeah. uh if anybody can go and check out hempwood.com yes. you can see us on Instagram yes. and Facebook and oh just about anything we got a YouTube channel if you want to see how to make hempwood yeah. There's a bunch of shorts on our YouTube channel. Um, yeah, just check it out. See if it fits into anybody's projects. I mean, it ain't for everybody, but it's for somebody. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll be in yeah, sure. I was,
2: uh, I was looking at the, the desk that y'all, the, the I guess, pieces of wood I can order from y'all and then build my own desk out of it. So.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And when you do it that way, it's fairly affordable because the hemp wood part of it's not that expensive. It's the, when you got a furniture designer and a custom cabinet maker and a, you know what I mean? All of that stuff, Mm -hmm. where if you want to build it yourself, then you can have a Hempwood desk. That's going to be as good as your skill level of making it.
2: That's a good point. So
1: nice. And I'll be sure to
0: include links to to your site and everything and on on our post too. But yeah, everybody, if you want to check out how Hempwood is made, check out the website, check out the products that they offer feel free to reach out to Greg. He's a really great guy. And uh, I remember when I called you the first day, it was just like open arms. You were more than willing to have a conversation with me. So it's very much appreciated. And thank you for taking time out of your Saturday to come on and, and speak with us today.
1: Well, thanks for having me, Kyle and Corey.
0: Absolutely. Have a good one, Appreciate buddy. it. Take care. You too.
1: Thank you. Bye-bye.